0: The Gospel reading for this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, beginning in the 25th chapter at the 14th verse. Matthew wrote, Jesus speaking. The kingdom is also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one he gave $5,000, to another $2,000 and to a third 1000 depending on their abilities, and then he left. Well, right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment, and the second did the same, but the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment, His master commended him, good work, you did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant with the 2,000 showed how he had also doubled his master's investment, and his master commended him, good work, you did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and you hate careless ways that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent." And the master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest this sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of this, play it safe, who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh God, we have talent, precious metal, protected, hoarded. We have talent, symbolic worth, invested, growing. We have talent. Opportunity unfolding, sharing, giving. May those of us in power, may those of us with privilege, look to lose so that others may gain. May we judge ourselves instead of others so we might turn our lives back to you and your ways. Open our minds, our hearts, our souls, this day we pray, amen. Someone once said, the measure of someone is the size of the thing that it takes to get his or her goat. Now what do you think? Do you know what it means to get his or her goat? it actually refers to the sensitivity of racehorses, of all things. Now, racehorses are notoriously high-strung. Horse trainers learned many years ago that highly sensitive animals like a stallmate and a goat is one of the most suitable companions for a racehorse. In fact, once a racehorse bonded with a goat, that horse would go crazy if the goat were taken away. Now on the theory that all is fair in love and horse racing, gamblers used to try and shorten the odds by stealing a thoroughbred stallmate, And the hope was to reduce the racehorse's chance of winning. And from this practice, to get one's goat came to stand for upsetting a person so that there was a complete loss of temper. So if the measure of a person is the size of the thing it takes to get one's goat, I ask you this morning, what does it take to get yours? How messed up do you get when you find yourself in a situation where your goat is out of the stall? Jesus tells another blasted story. A wealthy man goes on a very long journey and he leaves three servants in charge of his money. What he did, folks, was very unusual. He made those three servants his business partners. They had complete control over large amounts of money for what seemed to be a good bit of time. He determined who got how much on the basis of their abilities. There was a five-talent person, a two-talent person, a one-talent person. We aren't told of any instructions that he gave them. They were able to do, it seems, what they saw fit with the money. So two servants immediately go to work with their money and manage over a period of time to double it. They wind up doing quite well, a 100% return on investment. Now, we don't know exactly what it is that they did, but we can be pretty sure that they took risks and that they worked hard with what they had. The third servant decides not to take the risk, certain that if he loses it, the master will be angry and hold him completely accountable. So he found a safe spot, he dug a hole, and he buried it. And the servant knows when he does this that it won't gain anything, but it won't lose anything either. He effectively defects in place. He chooses to do nothing with what has been entrusted to him. While the first two servants decided to make something out of their opportunity, the third decided not to take a loss. The first two viewed their unforeseen stewardship as a gift, the third saw it as a problem. The first two allowed this stewardship opportunity to change their lives and the third refused to let it touch his life. So I think we need to ask the obvious question, why? Why? I think we've come to assume that the Master represents Jesus in this story readying his disciples for his absence, trying to get them to understand the stewardship opportunity that is about to rest firmly on their shoulders, illustrating to them the two basic options available to them at this point, take ownership of the talents and the opportunity, or bury them and pretend like nothing ever happened. What fuels how they respond to this opportunity, it seems to me, goes right down to the very basic thing of how they perceive God. Nothing is said about the character of the master by the first two servants. They just accept the responsibility and they get to work. Yet the third allows the opportunity to get his goat largely because of his understanding of how his master operates in the world. He says, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you didn't sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. The crux of the matter, though, is that we get what we sow. What we imagine about God, folks, makes all, all, all of the difference. If we perceive God to be legalistic, a rule enforcer, a constant judge and jury, just waiting for us to mess up and banish us to hell, then everything bad that happens to us in our lives becomes some kind of punishment from God. And we tend to live in an attitude of fear and distrust. And we often react just like the third servant. We defect in place. Doing nothing is better than doing something wrong. But when we view God primarily in terms of grace, we are often surprised and lifted by numerous gifts and moments of grace all around us. When we imagine God to be an incredible God of love, we find it far easier to experience God's love in our hearts and then share it with others. What you see, how you feel, what you project on the world is often what you get back. I think this parable more than anything else encourages us to examine the pictures of God that we carry around inside of us. Is God gracious or stern, loving or judgmental, eager for peace or prone to violence? Does the picture of God you carry around inside of you match the picture of God that we have come to know in Jesus? It seems that many folks are afraid of losing or somehow endangering God, and so to protect God from what we see as adventures, we try and bury God. We tend not to venture out into unfamiliar territory to preserve age-old boundaries and to protect God. After all, if we try something that we haven't tried before, if we try to include folks that we haven't included before, we might somehow compromise God's purity and holiness. But I believe that protecting God is a variant of not trusting God. And I hope you don't need me to tell you this this morning, but I'm going to anyway. God does not need our protection. I believe that Matthew wants his listeners to share in God's inclusiveness. God is larger than our tradition and bigger than our present experience. The first two servants ventured out willingly, willingly outside of their own knowing ready to experience something new, and they were met by the increase of their talents. We have to stop trying to bury God and keeping God to ourselves. There's an old story told about an incident in the life of Abraham Lincoln. He had brought one of his aides with him to a Wednesday night service at New York Presbyterian Church, and as they walked back home, THE aide ASKED THE PRESIDENT HOW HE LIKED THE SERMON. AND LINCOLN REPLIED, WELL, I THOUGHT IT WAS WELL THOUGHT THROUGH, POWERFULLY DELIVERED, VERY ELOQUENT. SO YOU THOUGHT IT WAS A GREAT SERMON? NO, THE PRESIDENT SAID, IT FAILED. IT FAILED BECAUSE THE PREACHER DID NOT ASK US TO DO SOMETHING GREAT. SO IN CLOSING, I just wanna say, there is a power that comes from the joy of knowing that life is a gift, from the confidence that one can have of just knowing that you are loved by God. And I believe that this way of looking at the world, this image of God carried around inside of us Opens us to share with others the resource that we have. Ideas, welcome, the riches present with us in this day, indeed, all of our riches. And all of this is a sure and certain way to increase our wealth. Matthew says those who were given much went to others for help in increasing it that expectant interaction, that can-do spirit, grows everything that it touches. So I just want to ask you today, what if the church's primary role is not keeping our tradition, even burying it if need be, but what if instead The church is called to give up some of its treasures so that the kingdom can grow. What gifts entrusted to us might we have to trade in in order that more people will hear and live in the good news? What might we need to give give up so that all people, all people, can live in God's abundance. We need to think about those things. And then we need to do something. Amen.